Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest sports developments including updated odds on the nba playoffs fights and even next season's futures and don't forget that major league baseball is back as well who are you picking to win the world series but online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting in your favorite vegas casino and poker games it's super easy to get started, so head over to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code, Believe B-L-E-A-V, that's Believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. We have a special guest with us today, Ned Coletti, the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was kind enough to join us on uh, this episode uh, and version of the 30 Minutes of Fame. And uh, today is Monday, uh, April 11th, 2022. Uh, this is episode 15 of season four. Again, always appreciate you listening in and being a committed listener to uh, our sports law podcast, which is the number one sports law podcast in the world. So thank you again. Sit back and enjoy uh, the show. All right, folks, uh, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Network. We have a very special guest with us today, Ned Coletti, the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers and currently a professional scout with the San Jose Sharks. And if that wasn't enough in terms of uh, his accolades and, and, uh, and uh, his success, he's also a professor of sports administration at uh, Pepperdine University. I think Dodger fans will uh, very well remember the turnaround that, uh, that Ned Coletti had for the team uh, in, uh, in 2005 when he was brought on and the major success that he had in terms of winning percentage, in terms of playoffs. And, and really righted the path of the Dodgers uh, to, to where they are today. So, uh, Ned, thanks again for being here, and, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate being out with you. So, um, in terms of your background, Ned, you know, you've had such a, a really cool history, and um, I've got to see you speak a couple of times, and maybe talk a little bit about sort of what made you choose your career path, or, or maybe did your, your career path choose you? Um, well, uh, you know, I'm about five, seven, five, seven and a half. So I knew competitive athletics while I could play and I could captain teams and baseball and hockey and soccer. Um, I knew I wasn't going to make a living playing it. So, um, I was fortunate. Uh, I I come from a family that uh, was really a group of hardworking people that, um, didn't really have a lot of educational foundation and, um, you know, except in life, so to speak, which is, I, I think, far more important than out of a book. But, 
and I couldn't get into a four-year school out of high school. I went to a junior college and I finally uh, was able to get accepted into a four-year school and got a degree in journalism uh, so I could write sports. And I did that for about four years before I began my baseball career, but um, just uh, stayed after it always and um, competed. I, I just, uh, I only wanted a chance. If I had a chance and I would, I would do everything I could to control what I could control and be as, uh, as good as I could be. And um, I'm not somebody that would, would um, campaign for positions or campaign for uh, advancement. I just hope that people would, would notice and, and, and God bless me with a lot of great people in my life that, that did pay attention and uh, gave me continued opportunities to, to get me through 40 years of major league baseball and four years with the, with the sharks and, and uh, of which all of it, I'm really grateful, but, you know, my, my career began as, as somebody who wanted to write sports and then um, transitioned into management, leadership, uh, professorship and, and scouting in the NHL. No, thanks for that, Ned. And, and, you know, that's something I've always admired about you, you know, you know, the, and, and I think something to look up to in terms of hard work and, and not, and not asking for anything in the sense of, you know, campaigning for positions, but just doing the hard work and, and getting that work done. And, and I agree with you on the street smart stuff as well. Um, I grew up in a similar you know, situation with a big family and uh, no formal education in that sense. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So in terms of, um, you know, sort of the work that you're doing now. I mean, first of all, it's fascinating. And, and I think probably pretty rare to go from baseball to hockey, but obviously that's where your passion and your uh, expertise is in. But so what is some of the work that you're doing now with the Sharks? Uh, and then obviously with your, with the commentating that you do um, uh, for the Dodgers and then, um, and obviously with, with, with Pepperdine. Well, on, on the Sharks point, you know, the, the transition from baseball to hockey, um, you know, it's different, but it's also there's there's very many similarities to it. Uh, and I think there's very similarities between sport and any other business. You've got, um, you know, things you look for in the quality of people. I'm as a professional scout, I'm really kind of in the um, um, acquisition department, you know, free uh, agents, trades. Uh, minor league players uh, moving up or, or, you know, being acquired. Uh, so uh, that's really what the responsibility mainly is along with some, some leadership here and there, some leadership type conversations. But when you look at an athlete, when I look at an athlete, I always start at the feet and I work my way up. How do the feet work? How do the hands work? How does the mind work? Can they make decisions quickly? And you know, almost every sport has got a one-on-one -on -one, uh, moment to it. You know, you've got baseball, you've got the pitcher and the hitter, a bunch, you know, 250, 300 one-on-one -on -one moments besides defense, besides base running. Uh, hockey, you've got hundreds of one-on-one -on -one moments in the course of a game. Uh, football, you've got one-on-one. -on -one. Soccer, you've got one-on-one. -on -one. Basketball, you've got one-on-one. -on -one. So how does somebody's mind work and do they adjust and how quick can they make a decision? And is it the right decision? And, you know, you watch how people play and you watch how people play. It's like, like life. You watch how people react through adversity, through challenge, through different things that are, are not necessarily easy, but our difference making with how we deal with it and how we handle with it and how we execute. 
And you know, it's, it's a lot of it's the same. Is the surface different? Yeah, one's on ice, one's on grass or turf. Is the uh, season different? Yeah, one's twice as long, but the hockey one is so rigorous and, and so physical that it, it, it might be twice as long, even though they play half the games before you get to a postseason. Um, and so there was a lot of similarities and probably because of where I grew up and how I grew up, I, I always valued those who work and those who work hard and those who will go the extra mile and those who refuse to get beat. That doesn't mean we're not going to lose because I've lost a bunch of games, but it, it means that, you know, to me, it means that you're not going to give up the opportunity to, to compete and to be the best you can be. And that's what I look for in, in hockey players, baseball players, or, or any athlete that I happen to happen to watch. I can't, I can't help but, but look at, at any athlete and, and kind of, you know, run through all those, that little checklist I just gave you to, to figure out who's who and, you know, and have, you know, great respect that they play in the highest leagues and even more respect that they, they played in a way that doesn't matter that they're, what they, what their salary is. They play it to the utmost day in, day out. Right. No, I love that. And, you know, again, Ned, like highlighting your, your work ethic in this space. I mean, you know, again, you're the, one of the few sport American sports executives that's gone from, from baseball to hockey, or really just to have two sports in general. But obviously that was, you know, 20 years of work that you put into that in terms of researching. Um, but that talent evaluation is so key uh, in all of sports and I'd be curious on the, the analytics aspect of that, um, you know, have you seen, you know, obviously baseball has completely embraced this analytics, uh, you know, the Bill James and, and kind of looking into that. And it's really come a part of, you know, really that everyday conversation. Uh, is that something that you're seeing happen in hockey as well? The sort of embrace of analytics? Oh, yes. No, no doubt. And, um, you know, analytics, I think, have great value. Uh, it probably, and, and when I started doing it, it was archaic by comparison to today. Um, it was really, you know, when I think about it, it was, it was cutting edge then, but it was archaic compared to today. But I started to develop the first analytics program for the Chicago Cubs in the mid-1980s. And it, and it helped my career um, continue to advance because of it. So I have great respect for it as I have great respect for who's inside the uniform, you know, who's inside the Jersey. And, you know, it's, uh, it's in every sport as well. It should be. And it's a, it's a great guide, a great tool to, to help either verify what you think you see or, or tell you a story that you haven't seen. And I think it's got great value. That said, I, I don't think I could ever put analytics um, ahead of, who's inside the uniform and how people prepare and how people think and how people sacrifice and how people go about their business. It almost be like being hired for a, a big, a big position in a company with only a resume and without any kind of conversation or, or process to tell whoever is making that decision, who you are and what you think and, and, and you know, how you, how you go about what you do. But it has it has great value, and and we use it a lot in the NHL, and I'm sure we're going to continue to use it more and more and more. It's a valuable piece to to making sure that you're making your decisions with as much information as possible. I think any leader, any leader that doesn't use every piece of information they have, isn't doing as good a job as they could do. So I think information is incredibly valuable, and the more you can get, and the more you can get in a succinct way that's understandable for people 
whether you're the athlete, whether you're the coaching staff, whether you're the executive, whether you're the fan, no, no matter who you are. I think that's got another important um, piece to it. Sports is rigorous. Every schedule, every team plays at a very high pace. Even the NFL, one game a week, but it's a high leverage pace that they prepare on a weekly basis. So your information needs to be succinct, needs to be understandable. You've got people from all different cultures, all different walks of life. You got to be able to teach and have them understand what you're trying to convey in the best possible way. And, and so, you know, a lot of it, uh, you know, sometimes you can't have, sometimes you could have too much information in a way if it's not constructed in the right way to get the, the word across and to be able to teach what you're trying to teach. But I think that to answer your question, I think it's, uh, it's in every sport as well. It should be. No, thanks for that, Ned. And I, I love the, the, that balance between, you know, what's in the uniform and also the numbers. Right. And like you said, taking, taking all the information that you can as a leader and then using that and applying that. Um, so it'd be unwise to not use analytics, but it'd be, it would also be unwise to overuse it and, and to, to not look at the full person and the intangibles or whatnot. And just so the listeners know, I wanted to share a couple little facts about, about, uh, about Ned in his time as the, the GM for the Los Angeles Dodgers, he was the, the 10th GM uh, in its history and in the last 23 seasons as an executive, he built 14 playoff teams, seven national championship appearances, three World Series appearances, and a record of 2,081 uh, wins and six, uh, 1,684 losses, uh, basically 400 games over 500. And then in your career, Ned, and I want to ask you a specific question about a really cool trade that you did, but the uh, during your 35-year career, you negotiated over $2 billion uh, in contracts. So I guess a couple of things I want to talk about. The one is the Adrian Gonzalez trade. If you could uh, talk a little bit about that and kind of what went into that. And then, um, and also with your recent announcement of your retirement from baseball and, and kind of what that, what that looks like for you. The um, Adrian Gonzalez deal uh, came with a, uh, a change in ownership and a change in, in direction, more or less. Um, trades sometimes take hours on a deadline like Manny Ramirez. We, we had nothing going with Boston until the morning of the deadline. Um, sometimes they can take months. And I can recall calling Ben Sherrington, who was uh, running the Red Sox at the time, probably near the end of April. They were off to a tough start. And I uh, had a lot of respect for Adrian uh, as a hitter. We'd seen him in San Diego in a ballpark not conducive to home run hitting. And yet he was able to produce runs and and hit for high average at a, at a stunning rate. And um, when new ownership came in, Stan Caston told me, he says, hey, people, players you've thought about acquiring in the past that you haven't been able to for whatever reason, you know, go back and give them a look because we're, we're interested in, in, uh, in improving the team as soon as possible and, and, and making it as good as we could make it. And so uh, I called Ben at the end of April and I checked in with him and I, talked about a handful of different players and I brought up Adrian who was a key player for him. And, and, um, you know, he stopped my conversation fairly short because he couldn't, he couldn't do that. It would have given a sign to the fan base, the team, everybody else that they had almost given up on the season. But as, as the season went on, we stayed in touch and we got past the trading deadline and there was a big ownership meeting um, for major league baseball. And, 
Dodger ownership and Red Sox ownership uh, met and had some conversations and because of the money coming back was, uh, was historic and it's in its amount. And um, so that took a little, you know, a little while they had conversations, they came back and, and, uh, and told me, Hey, you, you figure out the players, you know, we'll, we'll take care of the finances of it. And uh, it was important for us to do. Uh, we had, we had struggled in the year before in 2011. I think we may have dipped under 3 million fans for the first time. And, maybe the only time in a long, long period of time, because it's been on nearly 4 million ever since and, uh, and new ownership. And they wanted to make a statement and they wanted to certainly tell the fan base that they were for real and that they were going to go all in. So we ended up, you know, we had a TV deal coming up too at the end of that season. So uh, it was a business deal, but I've never made a, a baseball trade based upon business unless, unless winning is your only business. Uh, but I thought that it could help us help us win. We had started the season with a, a relatively low payroll, certainly for our market size, going through the transition of ownership. And uh, they, I think we acquired 11, maybe 11 players during the course of that season, which was probably excessive. But at the same time, you know, we had lost a lot of payroll from one season to another and our, and our guys had played hard. We had, we had guys who left it all on the field. We just, we just were short of depth and, and, and a little bit short of talent compared to other teams. And uh, as soon as Guggenheim Sports Partners came in, they said, hey, let's go. Let's get it going and let's let's change some of this. And so we did, you know, we uh, I think we acquired Hanley Ramirez that summer and, and Joe Blanton and and Adrian and Josh Beckett and Carl and, and Nick Punto and uh, might have been another one. Uh, Shane Victorino. We, we we went after it. And I think we. We're eliminated, uh, I think maybe the Saturday before the last day or maybe the Friday before the last game of the season. Um, so we put a big, a big run on it. But uh, it was a trade that I think, uh, you know, trades are remembered for different reasons. Some people remember this as the, the Dodgers took on all the salary. Some people remember it as they acquired Adrian Gonzalez. Um, some people remember it uh, as a as a shrewd business move that that really helped propel the organization in a number of, of business factors that uh, that helped 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 them a lot. You know, they ended up negotiating probably a record TV deal for a regional sports network a few months later. So uh, it was a lot of different components to it. But without great ownership, you don't um, you know you don't even venture an opportunity like that without without people like they have there. Talk a little bit about one of our new show sponsors, Credit Karma. Planning ahead for a big expense, don't put those car repairs or medical bills on a high-interest credit card. Credit Karma can help you look for a low-interest personal loan that could save you money while you pay off your purchase. Credit Karma uses your credit data to find loan offers that are personalized to you so you can have a better idea of what loan amount you can be approved for. Credit Karma will even show you chances of approval, so you can choose between loan offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. Comparing loan offers on Credit Card, Credit Karma is 100% free, won't affect your credit scores, and can save you money. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. Again, that's creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find a loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. Credit Karma, 
apply with more confidence today. No, good point. And, and it's such a, I mean, that debt to me signified a change in, 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 um, in mission, you know, like you said, the ownership group really got in and said, Hey, let's, uh, let's have a different direction here. And it really, you know, to your credit, Ned, it, and, and to the ownership's credit too, it started the, the drive to where the Dodgers are now uh, in terms of, you know, multiple playoff appearances, you know, they haven't missed the playoffs, you know, for what uh, eight or nine straight seasons now. Well, that was uh, the last year. I mean, we almost made it that year too. We, we, as I said, we were eliminated within maybe two games of the end of the season because the guys continued to play hard, you know, that would have it would have been 10 straight years of playoffs because that was the last year that the Dodgers didn't make it because we made it in 13 and 14 my last two years and they've made it every year since so uh, we almost we almost had another year we got close but we started from behind and it took a lot to, to catch back up but we almost did right no for sure and and um you know and then you know Ned obviously this recent announcement that you're retiring from baseball kind of what went into that decision and 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 uh, what does that mean for you? Does it mean sort of focusing on the Sharks or doing uh, doing the Pepperdine thing? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it, um, it, didn't, it didn't come easily for me to, to decide I, I wanted to do less in, in the sport that I love. Uh, and I still may do some some baseball work here and there. You know, I'm not completely just shutting doors. I just I felt that I needed to have a little bit more um, life and a little less schedule. And uh, I love teaching and maybe the, the greatest thing I've been able to do in my career. It's, it's such a, a cool thing and to be a, try to be a blessing to others. And, uh, you know, my, I'm passionate about the San Jose Sharks and, and the NHL and, and honored that, uh, that Doug Wilson and his staff gave me the chance to, to work in another sport four years ago. So, uh, you know, and I showed a great curiosity for it for probably 20 years leading up to it. So they, they knew I, you know, had a feel for it and, you know, I've, I've continued to develop that. Um, you know, the baseball season is, is relentless. As I mentioned earlier, every sports season is relentless. And my, my TV schedule was relentless last year, you know, and I had, I, I had, uh, I love doing it, but I also need other parts of my life at this stage of life. And uh, I just needed more, uh, more life and less schedule, more family time. And, and, you know, I've had like, like probably a lot of people, you know, you, you get to a certain age, Jeremy, and, and uh, you start losing people and people start passing on and, you know, my network of, of friends and, and associates, uh, you know, it's probably in the low thousands because of, of my career and being able to, to meet people in all walks of life. And, and so many people have, um, are gone just in the last two plus years and, and not hardly any COVID related, but just just because of life and because of age and because of sickness and uh, where I come from and how I grew up and, and what I had to do to get to get my career going and then continue to, to have it get stronger and better and more opportunities. You know, it took a lot. And um, I would, I thought many times over last, last summer that, you know, I'd be a fool at this stage of life, not to, not to harvest some of it and not to spend more time with my family and not to spend more time with the people who, um, you know, who are going to cry at my funeral and miss me when I'm gone, you know, and that's, that's my goal is to spend as much time with those people, family, friends, um, as I possibly can. And I can mix some baseball in here and there. I love to, you know, I, I posted yesterday on Instagram and Twitter that, um, 
you know, I'll be out at the pavilion. I'll be out sitting in the bleachers at, at Dodger Stadium a handful of times this coming season, hopefully. And I'd welcome people to come by and say hello, and maybe we toast the Dodgers, you know. Um, but you know, I've been blessed beyond measure in my life, in my career, and um, I just I, I needed to balance it out a little bit and sort of do the amount of games I did a year ago. Um, I, I couldn't I couldn't take that on again, and so. Uh, you know, we just made a decision that uh, that this is the way it was going to be. So it is what it is, and I will continue on, and I will continue to love the sport and love the city and the people in it, and uh, love the guys, love the the boys in blue. You know, big part of my life, big part of my family's life. So continue on, but sometimes you you need to readjust, reset, recalibrate, and really kind of think things through and, and figure out how you want to spend your day and where you want to spend it and who you want to spend it with. I love that, Ned. Um, so wise and heartfelt, you know, I appreciate that. You know, on the, it, it's, it's interesting, your career path too, you know, you started out in the communications part and we, we've had Fred Claire on this, on the podcast before, and he had a similar pathway and, and it's just been really nice to, um, and really cool to watch your career and, and just appreciate, you know, all the work that you've done and, and um, just appreciate, you know, you being a, uh, you know, really a guiding light to a lot of us. And um, in somewhat of a, a joking sense, when we met in person, um, I noticed that you're a fan of cowboy boots as well. Is that true? Uh, that is. I don't think I own a um, whatever they would call them, dress shoes or, you know, right. business shoes. I don't know that I own a pair. I've been wearing boots for about 30 years. I started to wear, uh, you know, sneakers once in a while. But uh, not often, you know, right. so, you know, but the boots, the boots that can last you 20, 30 years if you take care of them. So that's right. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I started to do. And you know what? They go okay with a suit. They're not bad, you know? Right. No, right. they look great. They look good. What, what's your favorite pair, by the way? Do you have like a favorite one? Like you have Cayman? Do you have like, what's the, what's um, your... I have a few Python. I have, uh, I think one um, alligator and I think I have a couple ostrich. Ostrich are the most comfortable. Um, and the, um, you know, my, we had an old, this is how this all began. This began probably 30 years ago. Uh, our, one of our pitching coaches in Chicago for the Cubs, Billy Connors. Uh, we were in Mesa, Arizona. We went up to Scottsdale for dinner and Scottsdale is, is so much larger than it was back then. But we went to this, um, this Cowboy Western place for dinner. And they had a gift shop there and they had some boots. And he looked at me and he says, I should buy you a pair of boots. I said, when am I going to ever wear boots? So he said, let's buy a pair of boots. So he bought me a pair of these great Python boots. And I kept them in the closet for about, about five years. And uh, one day I just decided, you know what? I mean, he had left the team. We were, we were friends until he passed on a couple of years ago. Dear friends. And um I said, you know what, I, I, ought, to, I, ought, to, I ought to wear this, you know, just in, in his honor because he was such a, a great coach, but really a dear, dear friend. And uh, I started wearing them. And little by little, that's, that's all I've ever worn, you know. So it's, um, that's how it began. And I, you know, I wear them, I wear them all the time. So. I love it. <laughs> that's so cool, Ned. I've got a, a, I think a pair of Cayman, ostrich, uh, eel. Oh, boy. Um, the eels are hard to, to, to keep, uh, they're great for tuxedos. Good to get that shine to them. Yeah. Um, but they are hard to, to keep up, but 
I, I share your passion for boots. I think, I think they're fantastic in suits and add a little flair, a little style to it. Those Python ones sound amazing. So I'll have to look into that. That looks pretty good. Yeah. They've been, uh, you know, you take care of them. It's a, uh, it's a good thing. No, for sure. So we've, we've got uh, a little less than 10 minutes left and, uh, I was kind of hoping, um, you know, Ned, you, you've obviously gained a lot of wisdom and, and um, I talk a little bit about maybe two things. The first is something that maybe a lot of folks don't know about, and it's this idea of sort of baseball arbitration and some of the work that you're doing to train the next generation there. And then maybe let's close with something, uh, maybe like a story, uh, stories from the trenches, something that you've picked up along the way, maybe an antidote for for folks that are looking to get into baseball or, or get into a front office. Okay. Well, salary arbitration was um, probably, I, I did some analytics. I was working for the Cubs and I did some analytics work um, for our manager at the time, Jimmy Fry, uh, which helped. And, you know, I, I traveled with the team all the time. So I was always around. I played the game. I understood it. And then um, one it's a Tuesday before Thanksgiving in 1984 when Dallas Green, who was my first boss and our GM, came by with an attorney uh, who actually worked with, um, with Rob Manford at a firm in Washington at the time and, and Frank Cooley, who ran the Pirates for a while, and asked me to help out on salary arbitration. Um, and so I did. I helped out this, this great law firm prepare a case on, on Leon Durham, who was our first baseman, and we prevailed in the case. And so uh, little by little, Dallas continued to give me more and more responsibility in that area and in the area of contract negotiation and learning the rules of the game. And I'm not talking about you know, distance between bases or things like that, but the, the rules of movement uh, with players and uh, associated, associated facts to that. And, um, and I've been teaching at Pepperdine for five years now, I guess, five, six years. And... I teach a class on sports leadership and what it's like to be a GM and the arbitration process is, is one of them. One of the, the lessons we have, and it's a semester long project almost. We just finished off a couple of weeks ago uh, and they're assigned these cases at, at the beginning of the semester, the first day, they know this is coming in, in about 10 weeks. And it, it allows students to, to understand research and preparation. It, under, they, it helps them understand uh, you know, how you lay out a case, not only on paper or on a screen, but how you lay out your discussion points. And in, in an arbitration case, you have the case in chief, which is really the, the opening for both sides, the player, then the club. And then you have, to, for me, the most important part of a case, the rebuttal part, where you can refute the other side. And the, and the player goes and then the club goes and then the player has what they call the sir rebuttal to follow which is a very short period of time to kind of refute anything else that the, that the club may have said in, in their final, final rebuttal piece. It's, it's the closing arguments as you rebuttal. And, you know, it teaches students, I don't expect them to be doing baseball salary arbitrations. Chances of that happening are probably one in a hundred thousand, but I think it helps them think. It helps them uh, understand process and preparation and research and the ability to listen and the ability to adjust on the fly and, and change direction because somebody may something say something in a case that you didn't expect. I teach them that uh, your rebuttal will be based on a lot of the things that, that when you are researching your case, um, it's the opposite. It's like, 
this player is going to cause us trouble. Well, then you know you're going to hear about that player. Put those put those players in your rebuttal and see if there's situations where you can draw a you know a comparison one way or the other that the player is like that the player you're you're arbitrating or or isn't. And um, so it, it does have a lot of life lessons to it. You know, I don't expect students to become general managers. Uh, some may, but I you know but I hope to teach them. Uh, a lot of life lessons uh, that they're going to need to go on and on. This this case, an arbitration case of Pepperdine, I think is a great is a great introduction to a lot of different aspects of the business world in or out of sport, including your ability to think on your feet, including your ability to to um, sell a point, to to be persuasive to be steadfast and to understand something inside and out. And I think that those are key components, whether you're in a baseball salary arbitration hearing or whether you're doing anything else, we negotiate, all of us negotiate pretty much every day, something. And I think it, it helps them, helps them do that. Antidote, I guess, um, uh, with Jeremy, I wish you would have given me that uh, when we decided to do this <laughs> podcast, so I could think about that. That's, um, that's a, that's a lot to try and, and melt down. Um, I don't know if, if it came from anybody else or if it's just something I've learned along the way. Um, probably two things, one personal and one professional. The uh, professional is the, um, that nobody really understands how hard the work is until you get into it. And so I would always try to do extra. Try to do more than you're expected to do. Um, outwork people, have integrity, uh, but outwork people. Compete inside your office for, I'm going to do as good a job as I can. And I'm going to continue to be the person that the, that the boss trusts and the person that the boss is going to continue to give more opportunity to because of that trust and because of the results. And to show a curiosity in what you do, to ask questions. I think these are all key things to any, again, it doesn't, it's just not for baseball or hockey or sport. I think it's important for business and for life. And so I think those are probably some key things, you know, some of the things I teach at school, you know, as we go through the end of the semester, we start talking about careers and what do you do with this education and how do you make it work for you? Um, and the personal one is probably what my parents told me. My dad sadly died a long time ago. He, my baseball career was three months old when my dad died of lung cancer at the age of 51. And, um, you know, in his last days, he told me, you're going to find out in life that you're always going to get more out of life by giving than receiving. And 40 years later, coming up on the 40th anniversary of his, of his death in the next, next couple of weeks, um, still lives with me on a daily basis. And my mom and dad were married 31 years and uh, my mom was widowed for 31 years. They died actually two days apart, but 31 years apart on, you know, the kind of the interesting symmetry right. of, num of numbers. And, and I asked her the same thing. I mean, she was, you know, at least in her eighties, wasn't in her fifties. So some blessing there and you know, a very strong, strong person to live with on her own without my dad for all those years. And, and uh, I asked her for some, some wisdom and she says, be a blessing every day. And you don't need to know the people to be a blessing. Just try to be a blessing every day to somebody because there's not enough blessings. People do not portray enough blessing throughout the world. And I can't 
I can't agree more. So those are probably one personal or two personal and, and one professional that, uh, you know, I would leave you. Ah, uh, well, thanks, Ned. And, you know, God bless you, you know, my friend, and I you know, appreciate you being on here and, uh, sharing your wisdom with, with, with us and, um, hopefully get together here in person soon. And, um, and, you know, again, just appreciate your time. You're welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for thinking of me and having me on today. All right. We'll do. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening in everybody. That was uh, Ned Coletti, the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Thank you again for listening in. Look forward to being back with you uh, next week. The show has been brought to you by bet online. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube